0: Hey everyone, Dubs here. I am so excited for you to hear today's episode with Nessa Norwich. But just FYI, when we started talking about her new film, Jelly Bean, we were so into it, we forgot to actually give the synopsis of the film. So, stay tuned at the end of the episode for a short synopsis so you know what you are going to see when you come see it at Newfest this Saturday as part of the LGBTQ Film Festival. Thank
1: you for coming.
0: Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or Tifco as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I'm so excited About my guest here with me today, Nessa Norwich, she, her pronouns, is a writer, director, and actor who creates works of comedy and social critique for film and theater. She is the recipient of the 2022 NYC Women's Fund for Media for her latest project, Jellybean, which has so far screened at Oslo Fusion, Hudson Valley Film Festival, and Rhode Island International Film Festival, where Nessa was recognized with the award for Best Actress. You might recognize her from the HBO show High Maintenance, for which she both acted and produced a rave. She is a proud alum of Jacques Lecoq, Barnard College, the New York neo-futurists, Emerge NYC, and Film Shop. Jellybean's upcoming screenings are October 15th as part of New Fest, NYC's largest LGBTQ film festival, and then early November as part of the Bushwick Film Festival. Nessa, welcome.
1: Thank you, so happy to be here.
0: I'm so happy that you're here. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I just I'm coming off of a um nourishing Yom Kippur
0: yeah, nice same yeah. great <laughs> any <laughs> any key takeaways from your nourishing time?
1: Oh my gosh yeah um a lot of what came up this Yom Kippur was around sitting with uncomfortable feelings, sitting with grief, sitting with pain and just practicing that like um taking opportunities in life on the daily to practice that um not only for you know your your own preparation for grief but also just to be able to sit with other people in in that um and also just the Jana Loeb uh, at the service that I did with her um, for Kol Nidre, she talked about the power of apology, mm. and that was really powerful. It was a powerful um, sort of intention before before the evening of prayer. Um, so yeah, those were those were two seeds, I think. Yeah.
0: Nice. I'm just thinking about the language you used around like the practice of sitting with grief and discomfort and how it is, it is a practice and it's something we have to practice to get, to be able to feel it and, you know, have a, have it come more organically, I guess, because that is something that's, it is so uncomfortable that you do have to practice it or otherwise And some people will just skip it, skip over it because it's so uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, definitely. We're just not really like, it's just not culturally what I think we're generally in tune with. So um, it's a great reminder.
0: Yeah. I love that. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah. So we all have multiple coming out stories, multiple coming into ourselves stories. And I invite you to share one of those stories with us. Sure. Sure.
1: Um yeah, I think when I was reflecting on um this question, um, you know, my story is not linear, it's not straight, so to speak. But I'm mm. sure. um I I spent a lot of years um uh, I think repressing my sexuality. So um yeah, I, I think it just feels like a it's it's a gradual untangling for me. (laughs) That's kind of what my um, coming out was like. Um, But I think what I want to share is um, I really became comfortable with my sexuality weirdly um, on stage. I sort of came out in front of strangers before I came out in front of my loved ones. Um, And uh, there's a for me, the stage is a really comfortable, homey space where I feel like I'm accepted unconditionally. Um, and I was performing with the New York Neofuturists and our work is all nonfiction. So if you're creating nonfiction short form plays over the course of you know several years, you can't really hide anything. Eventually everything gets kind of unpeeled. Um So I was at a point where, you know, I was dating, um, a CIS man and it was a a wonderful loving relationship. Um, but I was feeling like this sense of, it was, I won't go into it, but, um, I had feelings on my heart that I was not comfortable sharing in the relationship and, um, I wanted to write a play about that, about how we say hard things to people we love, how we say things that destroy, might destroy the relationship or alter a relationship in ways that they can, it can never recover from. And I um, asked one of my castmates to, you know, I asked them this question of like, what's the time? The, the It's a little background. Um, when we write plays, often we'll interview each other to just be able to write in each other's words. So I interviewed my castmate um, about a time when they had had to speak something, speak a truth that would alter um the comfort of their life or the reality of their life, stability, whatever, and they brought up the question of polyamory and that being like an outcoming out moment, and um somehow, in the play, I end up writing in like a moment where we kiss. <laughs> I don't even honestly remember why I wrote this moment or how it came about, or if I was like, had a crush on this person. I'm like, I, I don't exactly remember the motivation, but. um, There was also the added, like, you know, dramatic effect of like two pe- two members of our cast kissing on stage. Like I knew that that would get a big reaction from the audience. Um, but that kiss really sparked a very undeniable connection um between me and this person who is assigned female at birth and um yeah I could no longer it was like I could no longer deny a part of myself that is so clearly real and true and present um and you know that play gets repeated thousands of times because we play it for weeks and it was a crowd favorite so it didn't get cut but um <laughs> um yeah that was sort of like I literally like that kiss was that public kiss was just like simultaneously um a moment of coming out um for me
0: thank you thank you for sharing
1: yeah is that
0: good? Yes, okay. of course it is. I'm just I'm, I'm I'm taking in, sorry my silence is is nothing but me processing what you shared. Um I want to I want to like backtrack a little bit and ask you a couple questions about what it is about being on stage. You use the words like comfortable and it's a homey space and feeling accepted um unconditionally. And so I'm wondering um like at what age did you learn that that was true? that that was a space for you where you felt that way. And what, what about being on stage makes it feel that way?
1: I've all, I I won't say I've always thought, but um, okay. I've been doing, I've been performing on stage since I was um, nine or something. Um, It's always just been a natural, um, comfortable thing for me. Um, But I, I would say in that time of developing myself and being able to put on so many different personhoods, personalities, characters, I started to realize that the stage is actually the realest thing in the world. Like, it's like theater is the fact that we are able to transform, the fact that we are able to inhabit so many different creatures so many different objects, so many different humans is actually truer than the idea that we're constrained into one person and one Mm -hmm. identity. Um, and I've always felt that to be permission, um, to be all the, be all the facets and aspects and archetypes that we actually truly, truly, truly are. And when given the space to be those, those, um, to be that fluid, We're actually um, being our true, I don't know, um, what's the right word? Um, I guess fluid selves. I mean, I, I just always felt that my identity was not fixed. I remember being very young and being like, wait, like I, there's no way, I think honestly being in middle school and being like, I know I'm more than a little Jewish white girl from New Jersey. Like I can be so many more things than this and the stage was where i could like be all those things truly very truly um and i think people often think like think performance means like artifice or performance means something untrue but to me it's like the absolute opposite performance is um unmasking performance is um letting something very internal come out um yeah
0: I love that. I love the this idea of just like not being a just like not being contained as one person. Like being able to explore and to take on a multitude of of identities um, is is so important. Is such a way to explore. I in in the three and a half seasons before this episode. So many folks, I, I do interview a lot of like performers and actors and et cetera. And, um, a common thread is, um, performance is a way to explore safely, is a way to get up on stage and let things out that they wouldn't let out otherwise. Because it, the stage is like a sense of protection. It's like, well, I'm on stage, I'm performing, yet I'm still feeling the actual true effects and the impact on the inside. And I just think that that's so spectacular.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely agree with that. It's permission. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it is sort of like paradoxical that like you're doing this exploration, like with thousand eyes on you or, you know, hundreds of eyes on you. Um, So I totally understand why, why that might sound really terrifying um, or even like restrictive, but it's once you get comfortable in that space, it's so liberating and, yeah again I don't know it's just very true to me that that state of performance.
0: Yeah. I um I used to improvise a ton musically and otherwise um and I just like hindsight looking back even before I really understood myself to be a trans person would play certain characters a certain way or when I would step out on stage and wanted the audience to perceive me as a woman I like put on a voice and I like put on a different way of being. Yeah. But I wasn't doing it consciously. You know what I mean? Like I stepped out there, you know, you don't think when you do improv, you just go. Yeah. And it's so interesting and fascinating looking back on that. It's like, so because who I am, so it's who I am. And so I was like, well, the audience isn't going to read me as a woman because I'm not. And this was before I even knew that that was something that I, you know what I mean? And so it, it is just such a, then I think. I've never seen a neo-futurist performance, but in improv, at least that's, that's the like currency I'm working with is, you know, it's the yes. And so no matter what I stepped out there and started to do, it was immediately supported, agreed with and celebrated. Right. Right. What a beautiful space to explore identity, you know?
1: Totally. And it's funny with, with neo-futurism again, it's, so our principles are that you can't ever play another character. You always have to be yourself. Mm. And we're writing new plays every single week. There's thirty plays done in an hour. I definitely recommend seeing it. it's it's an incredible show. Um and concept. And so it's like I, I meant I mentioned before the image of peeling. It's like you cannot hide. Especially the longer you do it, the less you can hide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, um there's something terrifying actually very terrifying. I so I You said that I went to Lecoq, you know this this school in Paris. Lecoq is the opposite of of neo futurism. Lecoq is like you're you're always masked. It's Mm. called masked, but it really means like, you know, when you see someone perform masked, their bodies sort of like grow and you become this like larger than life thing. So even without a mask, you can be masked in that way. Like clowns are masked. Like the clown nose is a mask. So. Um, you're always sort of, and, and the whole principle of the school was like, you could be water, you could be light, you could be, um, a monster. You could be, so it was always like, like basically being completely unrestricted by your identity and your form. And neo futurism is like the complete opposite where like, you absolutely have to stick to your own form and your own identity and who you are. So it was just, it's just been like an interesting journey in, you know, truth finding in those two very opposing modalities and approaches.
0: Do you find one, um, more, I wanted to say valuable, but I don't mean that I don't want to say valuable. So I won't say it, even though I just said it twice. Do you (laughs) find one, do you find one more, um, effective in, in finding one's truth?
1: Um, That's a really good question. Thank you. (laughs) I hmm, I really want to think about that. Um, My dog is like desperately trying to get into this room.
0: Um,
1: I think neo-futurism is better at getting to the bottom of like, how did you phrase it getting to the truth a truth your truth
0: sure any of those I don't remember what I said
1: (laughs) (laughs) like a personal truth and like a personal style and like a personal voice personal voice your voice Lecoq is like sort of the opposite it's like Lecoq is a method that really gets you to like um it's funny because like, you know, the French phrase, je ne sais quoi, like mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, you can't quite r- verbalize it or define it, but it's like a a deep human, I think, un- like truth and understanding, like a almost more po- poetic understanding of life. Like, yeah, that's what I would, Le is like is like theater poetry. It's like, you're moving a painting, you're moving a poem, you're moving a book, you're moving... Um. yeah something it's something that you can't quite or shouldn't quite almost verbalize it's like that which shouldn't even be really broken down into words or defined it's like a, a sensation like a knowing a feeling
0: mm.
1: more because I mean in that work you're not even allowed to talk on stage for the first entire first year of the school so it's all physical.
0: So yeah. So as someone who has no experience, really, with either forms of performance, what I what I'm taking away, even though you literally just said it's not something that can be defined, but I feel like I want to try. <laughs> I'm just like, just like the main, like I feel like the the like the, like the thesis of either, which is like one, the neo futurism, and and obviously, please correct me if this is not accurate, but neo futurism is more like you have to be there in your full self because you are playing yourself and so there's not there's perhaps less room to explore safely in the sense of because you have to face truths that maybe you didn't want to or you weren't ready to but they they're bubbling up i'm now i'm just like digressing where on the other hand like like jacques lecoq is like <laughs> Excellent.
1: Excellent.
0: Thank you. Um, Like, because you're masked, maybe it's, like, safer to explore because you're exploring through being water. So there's, like, a different way of accessing, like, you said, that inner, like, knowing that inner self yeah. without having to, like, say it.
1: Totally. I mean, the thing with Lecoq is, like, your ego is supposed to be completely in like not present so it's like i'm not like the audience wouldn't even (laughs) how do i yeah it's like i don't want to like generalize because it can be so many things you know but just the basis of the pedagogy is like that which is beyond words Mm mm-hmm so, if you think about that in terms of like your, your being, like what aspects of me are beyond words versus like a script that you're writing where you are you, that also doesn't necessarily have to use literal words, but like there are so many other like, um, I guess like, language is used for one thing you know like verbal language is used for one thing or like structure or storytelling like that's in one boat and then there's like essence and feeling and metaphor and rhythm and like there's also an intense listening you're not supposed to like you're supposed to be very connected to the ensemble it's not like a one-man show here we're talking about. We're talking about, like, how a group of people creates a cloud or creates a world, essentially. Um Yeah.
0: It's, 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 it's just, I just find it fascinating. It's, like, so many different modalities to get to a truth. Yeah. And each are powerful in their own way. Um, mm. Like, how do we apply that to other aspects of, like, everything? I'm just thinking of, like, how to get people to understand the importance of climate crisis and all the anti-trans and LGBTQ. Like, how do we get people to understand these truths? It's like, because they, and there are di- all these different modalities to get us there, but how do we find the ones that are going to work for each person?
1: hmm Yeah. And I think there are multiple form for each person, you know, and I think the more tools we have, you know, I just feel like a creative toolbox is never complete, like, it's always growing. So it's just adding more paints to your palette, you know?
0: Yeah, I'm just the the image that came into mind is Mary Poppins bag, that just like, <laughs> is never ending. <laughs> yeah. Um. I want to, I want to like rewind back even further and have a question about a a phrase you said, which was you spent a lot of years repressing your sexuality. Mm -hmm. And, um, in many conversations that I have, that is in most, that is a common thread. That is what, how most people, even if they don't explicitly say it in that way, that's what's going on. Um, and I'm curious if you can, um, like, you know, like paint a picture Give us a stage, you know, just something of like, what was it for you specifically that told you this is something I need to repress?
1: Mm. I mean, you know, it's like such a subconscious. It's such a subconscious thing that like, I think it's guesswork in a sense, Um, like I have theories. I mean. The theory that feels most true to me might feel like the most outlandish to other people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I come from a family of Holocaust survivors and I do think that as children, we survival adaptations are very innate. And I think that I had some kind of, fear of standing out and a deep need to belong like a very acute and the most important thing to me was to belong throughout my youth um and I you know I'm an actress and I'm very good at um, very fluid and I'm very good at fitting in I'm very good at, at adapting to my environment um and I grew up in a mostly white, upper middle class Ashkenazi Jewish environment, my school and my camp, you know, um, and there were no, you know, queers around there. You know, I, I even just thinking back to that time, I don't know anyone who has come out since like really from that time. Um, It wasn't it's not even like it wasn't cool. It wasn't there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know that's not an uncommon experience for, for people of our generation. Um, but what's strange about it and mysterious to me about it is that. Um, so my parents on Christmas used to take us to this place called Kles Camp, which is like a place where like Yiddish Kite Jews um, go on Christmas. And it's like a secular, pretty secular environment Um, it's really like Yiddish culture like workshops and you know all kinds of stuff and it was such a queer space it was such a queer space and I remember viscerally like tantrum me like like tantrums about not wanting to go to class camp do not speak Yiddish to me like don't speak Yiddish to me, like really scream. I have a memory of like screaming at my dad, like, don't speak Yiddish and like really didn't like these spaces, found them very strange and like, um, really rejected, very rejected, very much rejected these spaces. And, um, yeah, I, I sort of pinpoint that as like the beginning of, of like a very strong repression of queerness and, um, things that might feel dangerous or make me feel different than other people. Um, yeah.
0: Um, uh, that doesn't seem to me like outlandish at all. That makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm curious, like, what about the space felt queer to you, and like, how as a as a kiddo, did you uh, even if you didn't know the word like this is a queer space, but you like got the you know like whatever it might be your experience is or how you want to define it, what made it queer, and then is it you associated Yiddish with that space? Is that why you were like, don't speak Yiddish to me? I asked you two questions. I sorry. Think it was- <laughs>
1: I think it was as conscious as like this is a queer space and queer is yiddish and don't speak yiddish mm-hmm. like, like all these things were one ident were one cultural bubble cloud. Mm-hmm. um what felt queer about it there were queer couples with with kids um my theater teacher at class camp was a woman with a beard mm-hmm. um definitely a, a queer woman with a beard like it was there were things that were just like what is this world like <laughs> It's not the, like, it just doesn't look like my, you know, conservative Jewish Ashkenazi upper middle class world, like, pristine sort of world of normalcy. And, um, yeah, I, what was queer about it? I think that's such a great question. Um. I mean, everything, <laughs> everything about it was clear. Mm-hmm. Everything about it was clear.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you went back with your family multiple years. Yeah. So, was- so, so it wasn't like you went one year and your parents were like, what is this? and never took you back. They were like, what is this? And took you. No,
1: it wasn't. What is this? My parents were like very much like in that world. Like it was, it wasn't, what is this? It was their world. Yeah. They're like, no, you're going here and we're going here and this is us. This is who we are.
0: That's so, it's so fascinating to me because it's like, how do I even articulate this? Like, you did like, so the way that you described where you grew up is exactly where I grew up. This like white upper middle class, like Ashkenazi Jewish. Like we back in the day, we had Jewish holidays off like that, you know, in the early 2000s, and the 90s, we had Jewish holidays off. That was like unheard of um, in Ohio, nonetheless. Um,
1: was it a Jewish day school?
0: No, public school. Uh. um And like, but there were no, there was no like Klez camp, right? There was there for me, there was no like outlet or no sense of another world, right? There's, there was no sense of like there's something other than where I'm growing up and what I see. And so it's fascinating to me to hear that you did have this space and it was like, it, 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 um, I don't even know which, what is fascinating. It's just like, but you, I guess let me back up and
1: rejected it, even though it was like present for me.
0: Well, I totally can understand why you rejected it because it's, and this comes up a lot in conversations too, which is like when you, when it's almost like this like tension of like, there's no visibility. There was no representation. Like you, you even said that like in this like pristine, I think is even the word you use of like the space where they're like, it's like, and then there's this like klez camp. Um, Where we say where I guess, because I have I have said this too many, many times, where like there was no representation, there was no visibility into queerness. Right. And then in the same breath, I'll say, but my ballet teacher was gay and the camp director was gay. And it's like, well, why is there a disconnect? And it like, why and then once I knew that those were and like my family wasn't mean to those people. Like they they embraced them, love them. Um so it's just it's just fascinating. I don't even have like anything more concrete to say there. It's just fascinating that how we can have those like dueling truths, those like at the same time of like there was nothing and there was this thing and it scared the shit out of me.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I had come out as queer to my parents at any age, it wouldn't have been an issue. I, it's not like I had a hostile environment, you know, like um. I just, that's why I think I pinpointed on this ancestral trauma and Mm -hmm. because it feels like it was just, it's so programmed into who I was for for over 20 years of my life. And I wasn't picked on, you know, like I, I don't have any bullying trauma from my youth. Like I really was just like good at being like sort of making sure I was sort of like at the top of the food chain at all times. I was good at that. And I actually think it was a huge disservice to my myself, actually. Like I, I didn't give myself room to, it's not that I wasn't who I really was, because again, I had theater. I was always the clown. I was always being a weirdo. Like I was a weirdo. I was a queerdo for my whole life. Um, but I think in a way that was, I did use it as a mask a little bit. Um, and, um, you were talking and maybe this is a good segue, but, um, you were, you asked about the key ring moment and, mm-hmm. you know, when I was thinking, reflecting on that, it's, I can't, I can't really pinpoint one that doesn't, um, partner or like, um, that isn't hand in hand with a moment of repression. So it's really mm-hmm. hard to be like, oh, that's my curing moment. Like, oh, cause I saw Fun Home and it was like very much like a very like the heavens opened and like curing moment. And like, you're like, mm-hmm. I'm not alone in the world. That makes sense. But that's not how I responded to curing moments. I responded to curing moments by being like, no, this mm-hmm. is not me. I am the opposite of that. I am rejecting that. I'm going the opposite direction. Um, So, like, in a sense, moments more of fear or um, dissociation or something, you know?
0: I know so deeply. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I came out to my sister. We were driving. It was Christmas Eve. We were driving to dinner at a Chinese restaurant. And um, I chose this moment to come out to her because I didn't have to look her in the eye because I was driving. And then remember feeling as soon as I came out to her, she was the first, she was the second person I came out to first person in my family. And like feeling this moment of like panic of like, Oh shit. Now that I've like claimed this space, now I actually have to live it (laughs) and like be it and do it. That was even scarier than like holding the the secret in for 20 years. Yeah. It was, it's really hard. And so I totally get the like rejection of, seeing yourself so, so clearly in something else that scares you being like, nope, that's not it. Yeah. yeah. I totally get that.
1: I also came out to my aunt like that way when I was like driving, cause it was like, didn't want to have to look at her.
0: Yeah. That's um, so much, so much easier that way Yeah, for some people. So thinking about almost fighting, fighting one's truth or fighting like what we know to be our internal sense of self I don't know. Just because it's scary to 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 own up to it, sometimes, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that actually is is making me think about your film Jelly Bean, yeah. where yeah. I'm these these moments of almost like you can see the character and forgive me, I forget the protagonist's name. Razel. Razel, that's right. Of course. Um, there's like a there's like a thread of of fighting until the very end where it's like, ah, finally. Yeah. So, um, I kind of just jumped ahead, but do you want to tell us about jelly bean the inspiration for the film?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I would say this is my official coming out to the world story. Um, Mm. I, where to begin? I was still dating cis men, almost exclusively through the pandemic, I would say, like not exclusively pre-pandemic, but for some reason, something about the lockdown and the pandemic and Hinge and my algorithms were matching me with men, cis men. Um, and I was very lonely, as we all were, most of us. And I was also living with my my two best friends who had just gotten married and were newlyweds and had fallen and, and were very much in love. So, like, you know, you're locked in with like two people, lovebirds, and you're just like have no outlet. Um, a certain Another, another <laughs> level of desperation. <laughs> no regrets. So happy we did it, you know. People, but um, it was hard. And um, so, you know, and also, full disclosure, you know we didn't really want to we weren't we were kind of like no, no seeing anyone else policy because this was like when it was really dark um and the only kind of like except uh the only um exception was like dates for me like that was the only exception like mm. they were like nessa needs to get laid <laughs> <laughs> Like if she needs to go out on dates like we can make an uh you know um an exception for that So I was, like, going on these dates with cis men, and I was just, like, blown away by the discrepancy in our consciousness. (laughs) Like, I was literally kind of just like, really? Like, this is what it's like? I, like... We're not even on this. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not, this is not to generalize or say all cis men, like, you know, are this way, but it was the, the men that I was going out with. And it was just like a really good mirror and reminder and reflection of, um, what, what people who date, I'd say, okay, let's just, I'm just going to speak from me, cis women who date cis men have to deal with. Um, and like what we have to accept and what has to be, what's normalized, like the behavior that's normalized and acceptable from these, from certain cis men. And it was garbage. It was just a moment of like blaring truth. Like I'm not this person anymore. I'm not a person who just willy nilly will just go on dates with. Dickheads! (laughs) 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 dickheads <laughs> 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 and I was so mad about it that I decided to write kind of like a revenge comedy. Um I wanted to laugh about it. It was funny how bad it was. These dates I mean, in jelly bean, um Razel goes on a date, and that date, I didn't make a single thing of that date up. It's mm. all a mashup verbatim of dates that I've had. And nice. people see it and they're like, that wouldn't really happen. It's a little unbelievable. And I'm like, that isn't even the whole thing. And it's true. And it happened. And um I think for me, I needed to write um I needed to write about the difference between queer intimacy and straight intimacy. And for me, the difference is that in queer intimacy, there is like an understood space of um what's the word singularity of like nuance like there's it's not it's non binary it's there are so many understood power um dynamics that are in play there's so many understood um there's such an awareness of um all of the components of someone's identity like from gender to um comfortability with different kinds of intimacy to how we speak about sex how we speak before sex how we speak after sex um There are just so many more, there was just such a more, there is such a, for me, a more complex vocabulary around intimacy in queer space that is inclusive. And my experience dating cis men for, you know, 20 years showed me the opposite. Like there were all of these scripts that were so uninclusive, like so prescriptive and flat and black and white and binary. And I just wanted to write a, I wanted to write a a light, funny um, story about a woman realizing the difference between these two forms of intimacy. Um, and at play there is obviously the world that we live in of you know online dating and how hard it can be to really like to even like encapsulate what you're looking for on those apps because it's almost like relates to what we were talking earlier about, like Jacques Lecoq, like some things are not some things are better not put into language, you know in the in the offset. Mm-hmm. It's helpful to name what you want for sure, but we miss, obviously we miss a very, um, you know, we miss the chemical, you know, the chemical attraction that happens, you know, in a spontaneous meeting and the pandemic obviously like really took that possibility away from us. So um I was craving, you know, that spontaneity. So I wrote, I wrote, a, I wrote about it. Yeah.
0: Well, I loved it. And I, I loved the, Sorry, like,
1: so long winded.
0: No, that was great. That was exactly the right amount of wind. <laughs> um, So I just, I love watching Razel come alive and I love the, like, you can just see the internal, like, struggle, tension of like what Razel thinks she should be doing versus like, what is probably going to be turn out better <laughs> for Razel. Um, and, but I also noticed some Yiddish in there. So it sounds like maybe you've healed with that.
1: (laughs) Totally. I mean, definitely healed with that. Also, like just beyond like a new deep appreciation for, um, honestly, like for me, a big part of how do I put this? I think it's so important for each of us to understand our ancestry in a deep, realistic way. That's how we resist at white supremacy is by understanding the complexities of each of our identities.
0: I want to shift gears just slightly and I'm curious and I'm not making any presumptions about anyone, anyone in your movie, but just a general question, which is, what are your thoughts on either non-queer folks playing queer characters or non-Jewish folks playing Jewish characters? What are your, as a director, as a writer, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I think it's really important to like, um, for people who have the identity to play that identity. I mean, only, I mean, if only for representation and like to make sure that folks who um, haven't been given the opportunity to represent their, themselves in the past, um, ensuring that those people have a space to do so and also just have work and like get more jobs. Um yeah, I think, represent like, accurate representation is super important to me, and I wouldn't have cast a straight person in any of those queer roles, that's for sure, um, and I, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I would have considered, like, casting, like, a gay man, a gay cis man in the role of Ari, um, but I mean, for me, the role of Arya was so much about, it was about who's the funniest person to play, like who is the funniest person to play this role. And Yoni Lotan is someone I've known since childhood um, and uh, love, like really wanted to work with. And I think he's a comedic genius. Um, So he was definitely the right person for that role for me. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think tokenism is obviously, like, not not the vibe either, you know? You don't mm-hmm. want to, like, um, go out of your way to, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just about, like, the, the best human being to play a role and then, like, the human being that actually has life experience that um they can bring into what they're representing is important. Like I, I mean sorry
0: no no please
1: um no I was just gonna say like I mean everybody who I wrote the movie with like certain actors in mind you know who are my friends everybody in that movie um was somebody that I knew before and except for Leo Miguel who is just like an insanely talented actor who I met who I found via Instagram um but yeah. I think that it, what the only thing I want to say about that is just, like, I think the neo-futurist influence, like, the idea that we all have real stories that are worth telling, and real, we know real people who have real stories to tell, and I'm really into that, like, blurred line between fiction and non-fiction, where, like, you know, someone can be playing a character, but they can, you know, most of it is really just that, that person with another name, you know, I don't know. I'm just into realness, I guess. I'm into that.
0: Yeah. I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I, I am, I'm on, I'm, I'm with you on all of that. And I also have been thinking a lot too about um, two things. One is a conversation I had with um, Emma Seligman, who did Shiva Baby, mm-hmm. um, and who cast Rachel Sennett in the main role, who is not a Jewish person, but plays a Jewish character, mm-hmm. um, also is not a queer person. As far as, as far as at the time, you know, I don't want to again make any kind of assumptions about people's sexuality, but that was part of the conversation was she's not queer, she's not Jewish, but she's playing both of these roles. Yeah. And it was interesting to me back Emma's response, which was, um, not only am I a writer and a director, but I'm also an employer and I can't discriminate against someone and I can't not hire them because of their sexual orientation or religion, which I found to be just um, fascinating, a fascinating lens, which I, 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 you know, just to think about. And then the second thing that I have been thinking about too, is this idea of, um, we talked about this earlier, using the stage as a place for exploration. And if, and if like, we're only if we're not allowing people to explore other identities on stage, like are we closing off the safe space for people to explore yeah. identity. Do you know what it's, I mean? And so totally, it's like these totally. conflicting truths of like both are true.
1: Yeah, totally. I think also like theater and film, I don't know, for me those are slightly different considerations. Um but I think that I agree with Emma Seligman. I I think you can't discriminate based on those things. And um, also like what I'm saying about representation is not like a hard line. Like, I think sometimes people should play, you know, I think that we, our identities are fluid. And I think what, what I'm just saying is that someone with that life experience brings something to a role you know, a certain mm-hmm. something to a role. Whereas like someone maybe without that life experience brings something else to a role, a different possibility to a role. It's really just about what you're looking for exactly in, I think, the, um, the storytelling, the process, like how you want to work in the process. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I think like, I, I, I don't think we should be like, held captive or like uh restrained to play only who we are that's mm-hmm. not definitely not what i think i don't think that they are opposing truths you know i think mm. they're just they're just ways of informing your choices they're ways of informing the process um and ultimately especially with film, it's so much about who's going to play the, who's going to play the part the best and who has the essence of this character. And essence doesn't necessarily mean um, like life experience. Sometimes essence means understanding, knowing, compassion, like empathy. um, The je ne sais quoi, you know?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But thanks for bringing that up. I think you're right. I think um, it shouldn't be a hard line and um, both of those things are worth considering.
0: Yeah, I'm just, and I'm thinking about, I just, I think about this stuff all the time. I, I think a conversation around queer baiting it, like comes into this also, this conversation around just like who gets to, who gets to, you know, be part of the conversation, who gets to do, you know what I, you know what I'm trying to say, like who, I don't know even what I'm trying to say, but I just, I think like, Another example that comes to mind, and then we don't have to keep talking about it, but it's like when I do a lot of my diversity, equity, inclusion, justice trainings around gender equity, um, and also, and specifically in Jewish spaces, um, I bring up this idea of like cis normativity, heteronormativity, Ashkenormativity, and like when we make assumptions about people based on the way they look or the based on their name, like if someone is Jewish... How they look, that's looking Jewish. And whatever their name is, that's a Jewish name. Yeah. Whether we, like, associate it, quote, unquote, with, like, the zeitgeist of Jew- Jew- Jewishness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. And so I always, I, I push people to think about that and to push themselves and to challenge themselves on assumptions that they're making. And I found myself, I saw, um, I don't know if you saw Funny Girl on Broadway. No, I didn't see it. Um, I saw it in previews with Beanie with Jane Lynch, and Jane Lynch plays Beanie's mother. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, Jane Lynch is not Jewish. And it just was like, for me, I was caught in this seat of like, I'm challenging myself (laughs) to believe that Jane Lynch is playing a Jewish character because they're saying she's Jewish. So I have to believe that however she is, that's Jewish. And I was like, "This isn't Jewish. like this isn't the Jewish I grew up with, you know, like, yeah, and so it's so it's really just I guess i'm I'm sharing that because it's not just like a one and done conversation. It's not a solid line in the sand. There's like so much nuance to these conversations, and there's so much um like give and take and like you're saying like es- the essence is what's important, I think a lot of this too. And so it's just I just find it fascinating because I find my thoughts are always in contradiction with each other,
1: yeah, I mean it's also not like, it's not in contradiction. I think, I think it's just all these different things existing together, you know, it's Mm, like, mm. like something to consider is like nowadays on Broadway, like you don't have a Broadway show without like a famous actor in it. Like Mm -hmm. it's produced really. Yeah. You need a name attached to it. Like same in, same in the movies, you know? Um, And you know, that like uh, oftentimes of, you know a pilot or a feature won't get produced unless there's like a very well-known actor attached to it so these are just like these are two realities that exist at the same time you know and i'm sure that when M- emma seligman was casting this role you know there i think that they were also good friends so mm-hmm. you know, she knows this person very deeply so there's something that you know she see that emma sees in what, what's the actor's name again rachel senate rachel senate yeah love her um um you know that she saw in her that you know it's it's such a like it's such a deeply personal process i think like making your film and making your producing your art you know so again not a contradiction i think just like all these all these things considered at the same time that um you just have to sort of prioritize um based on exactly what you need in that moment in your, in your career or in this, the course of this artistic process.
0: What's right for right now.
1: What's right for right now.
0: Um, I just want to appreciate the, the, the gentle yet forceful reframing of not being a contradiction, but just being in like coexisting. I think that that even just the the reframe of that helps, take some of the like the negativity out of it and some of the like uh yeah the negativity out of it and just like
1: judgment brings yeah. more
0: yeah. judgment thank you yeah yeah that's the word um yeah. so thank you for that um don't want to do this have to do this bring us into our lightning round of questions <laughs> um which round? is it's just a <laughs> what do you say
1: mean that that's what we're doing right uh,
0: now. <laughs> it's a beautiful question um i uh have just like a bunch of questions like they used to be the first the first few seasons they were very binary like this or this and you just answer as quick as possible but i was told that my questions were too binary and to open them up so they're all now open-ended except one so um it's just meant for fun so uh and whatever whatever comes as quickly as possible um is the right answer again just for fun. fun okay great yeah are you ready okay if you could name your own crayon, what would you name it?
1: Um, My own crayon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only thing coming to me right now is Booger Brown.
0: That is perfect. <laughs> Booger Brown. Favorite time of day?
1: Um, Magic Hour for sure.
0: Favorite current queer media representation?
1: Mm. Um queer representation let me thank for a sec if hmm. i'm lightning runs hard, I find it hard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just for fun
1: it's just for fun um wait i just want to think for a second i'm just gonna shout out you know i'm gonna shout out one of my good friends because her name is the one that's popping into my head Roberta Kalindras, um actor on League of Their Own, made a big splash, and I'll just shout her out.
0: Well, also in Fun Home.
1: And Fun Home, yeah.
0: Um, my friend is friends with uh, Roberta and calls uh, her Bert, and so I don't, I've never met Bert, but <laughs> I now just, in my mind, call yeah, Bert, Bert Bert. So anyways, that's not my place we to call Bert Bert, Bert, Bert but. Okay, great. Um, also, didn't know Bird's pronouns, so I might have misgendered. He, he I don't uses know. uses she, her pronouns. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, a song that makes your heart sore. Um, uh, let me think for one second. Um. Um
1: natural woman
0: mm, which version
1: um aretha i'm gonna go with aretha
0: love it gonna listen to it when we i say hang up but we're not on the phone <laughs> um favorite beverage
1: um my favorite beverage is a mezcal negroni or if we're talking non-alcoholic um Probably like a seltzer with a splash of grapefruit.
0: Mm, fancy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, favorite quote.
1: Favorite quote. Um, I'll go with what's on my email signature. Um, never forget that. No, let me just get it right. Let me just get it right.
0: <laughs> sure. Get it right or pay the price.
1: Yeah, I don't want to misdo this.
0: As they say on Salute Your Shorts.
1: Oh, yeah, I think it's justice is what love looks like in public. Mm. Or no, West. Yeah, it is. Justice is what love looks like in public. I love that. Yeah.
0: Okay, binary time. Bagels or donuts? Bagels. Okay, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there are no wrong answers but there are.
1: For aren't. sure bagels. <laughs> okay. now so
0: I barely ever get to eat bagels, but um, apparently modern bread has very good gluten-free bagels. Oh
1: shit. Yeah. And
0: yeah. they opened one on 14th street.
1: Oh my God. So
0: just FYI.
1: You. So, so
0: Nessa, before I do my official sign off, Tell us how we can access Jelly Bean. When can we see it? Can we meet you in person? Can we can we celebrate you in person? What, tell us all everything.
1: Thank you. Um, so Jelly Bean is playing at New Fest on October fifteenth at the um, Nighthawk Cinema in Prospect Park. Um, it's a brunch screening. Nighthawk serves serves food and, and beverages during movies. Really fun. Um, And it's a short film block that's shared with many wonderful looking films. Um, So strongly encourage everyone to come out. I think there are still tickets on sale. And um, following that, there is a screening um, as part of the Bushwick Film Festival that I have not um, received the official date yet, but that's going to be cool. It'll be at Williamsburg Cinemas. I won't be there because I will actually be in Oaxaca with my family celebrating my mother's 70th. Um, But uh yeah that's there also um i'm a drag performer it's kind of the performance live performance that i do these days um and we're gonna be my drag trio is gonna be performing at um the uh three dollar bill on november 8th um as part of like a drag king competition produced by the cake boys and um that's gonna be really fun we we have a boy band called earls to girls and um we've written an original boy band song. And it's called Where You At Girl. And it's very funny and very stupid. So um yeah, that's gonna be really fun. I'd strongly encourage people to come out for that.
0: Come out. Come out. <laughs> it was a pun. Um that is incredible. I didn't know you did drag. Yeah. Um cool. And people can stream, if they can't be in person at Nighthawk, they can stream it virtually. Yeah, thank you. They
1: can stream Jelly Bean all throughout the festival, which is like a 10-day festival. So um, you just go onto their website, NewFest, I think it's newfest.com, and um, you can buy a virtual pass and um, screen it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And reach out to me if people are interested in working together, collaborating. I'm also a creative coach. So I help people, um, you know, at any stage of their process, realize their creative visions and um, would love to chat.
0: Amazing. Nessa, thank you so much for being here and thank you for coming out.
1: I'm so glad I did.
0: (laughs) 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 Thank you for coming out.
1: Jelly Bean is a voyeuristic satire of contemporary dating. The short film tells the story of Razel, a queer woman looking for romance on dating apps that she cannot hack. She doesn't know how to wield the magic of algorithms or text banter to find the perfect match. So we follow the trials and triumphs of a pivotal day in Razel's dating misadventures as she sets out to find the intimacy that she craves. Full disclosure, it's about 80% autobiographical and based on my own misadventures searching for partnership online.